Well, earlier today, our next speaker shared how archaeology forms the foundation of many of the Bible prophecies. And apart from speaking around the globe on all matters of subjects ranging from ancient history uh, to meeting life's greatest challenges, Lyle serves as the lead pastor of a church in Maitland, New South Wales. Uh, in fact, you can enjoy a litany of presentations that he shared by simply typing his name into any internet search engine. And I just learned that he also hosts a breakfast show on Faith FM, which you can get online. So ladies and gentlemen, once again, will you please welcome Pastor Lyle Southwell. Bible prophecy is full of symbols. Anybody who has looked into the prophecies of the Bible, particularly Daniel and Revelation, will recognize immediately that it is full of codes and symbols that need to be deciphered and it's part of the challenge and the enjoyment of studying Bible prophecy is digging into them and finding out how the Bible actually decodes itself. Now, there are many things that we could talk about this afternoon and we have already spoken about how that prophecy confirms the Bible. I want to take that a little bit further here as we work through uh, this afternoon's subjects. And as we look at history's secret codes on earth, we're going to look at three lines of investigation that establish the authority of the Bible for us. And so we find we have the supernatural origin of the Bible, and we particularly note that within the realm of prophecy. Uh, this morning we spoke about how that you can't tell me what's going to happen 490 years from now, but the Bible was able to do that, isn't that so? And so we find that the Bible has supernatural origins. We're also going to this afternoon look at the supernatural preservation of the Bible and finally the supernatural effect of the Bible because without the presence of the supernatural, it is the presence of the supernatural that creates the uh, existence of religion, religion that doesn't exist. God doesn't exist without the supernatural. And so we need to find evidence for the supernatural as we look at the Bible and the codes and symbols contained in, within the Bible. Just a little bit of history very quickly running through it. Uh, this is the, the history of our world as it's given in the Bible. And the Bible was written during this period here, a 1,500-year period. And it looks kind of short compared to some of the... Uh, uh, long, other long time spans, but uh, that basically gives us a, uh, a picture of where the Bible fits in. One of the difficulties and one of the challenges that has been faced in the past with the trustworthiness of the Bible is the fact that it was written a long time ago and has been passed down through many centuries. And in the past, we had those who would study the Bible, and in their study of the Bible, they would note that you know, our oldest manuscripts only really took us back about a thousand years, and they wanted to know how many changes had taken place in the generations, the centuries, the millennia before that. You see, researchers noted that every ancient culture, as it passed on its information and its spirituality and its books and its myths and its legends and so forth, those myths and legends and uh, history even would be changed over the centuries and sometimes changed quite dramatically. And so we can go to Egypt as an example, and Egypt probably is the most dramatic example because it seems the Egyptians didn't even try as their gods got changed and adapted down through history. They just rolled with it rather than trying to sort it all out. But if we go to Egypt, 
We can find that the gods were combined with each other as easily as they were divided. A god could be called the Baravanara, or two or more deities could be joined into one god with a combined name and iconography. Local gods were linked with greater ones, and deities with similar functions were combined, and it became just a whole mixed-up mess. Ra was connected with the local deity Sobek to form Sobek-Ra, with Ammon to form Ammon-Ra, with a solar form of Horus to form Ra-Horoktri. Also, you had Horak. Okay, don't even try and get me to pronounce this one right here. But I think you start to get the idea. Deities of different sexes were joined, producing combinations like Osiris Neith and Mun, and we could go on. The Greeks, on the other hand, they were a little bit more careful in how they tried to pass down their gods. They had a lot less gods to deal with, so it was a lot easier. But even their gods got mixed up, their Olympians and Titans, as they were passed down through the generations. And so if we consider Aphrodite, for example, in 760 BC, she is identified as the daughter of Zeus and Dione uh, by Homer, but 100 years later, she is the daughter of Cronus and Uranus. That was by Hesiod. And then, of course, Plato comes along and tries to solve the problem by saying, oh, no, no, there is actually two different Aphrodites. And so you see the problem. And this is just two small samples. And so researchers wanted to know how much of this has taken place in the Bible. How much of the Bible has been changed? Are we reading the Bible that has always existed? Or is it vastly different now that it's been passed down through many, many generations? And of course, when they're reading these Greek documents here, they are reading very, very old documents that are much closer to the original than the copies of the Bible they had. Well, that all changed when the greatest archaeological discovery of all time was made in the region of the Dead Sea. And we're all familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Of course, the Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth and the saltiest water on earth. The Dead Sea is a place where you just can't sink. You just bob to the surface and uh, when I was there, I even tried to tread water, and it was really hard to tread water because your feet would try and pop up, and it was a really bad thing if they popped up this way because it would place, plant your face in the middle of it, and you really didn't want to put your face in it. But it was here in 1947 that the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, hiding in a cave uh, near the, uh, the, the remains of a village called Qumran. And here you have Qumran. These were Essenes that were living here, and part of their work had been to copy down copies of the scriptures. Now, there were many other books that were contained amongst that as well. This was a real treasure trove of uh, ancient documents. But the ones that have fascinated researchers the most are those uh, scrolls that contain portions of the Bible. You see, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, they took our knowledge of scripture a thousand years closer in the Old Testament to the original. And of course, researchers were very quick to say, okay, let's have a look at these and let's, uh, let's read through them. Let's find out over a 1,000 year gap, how many changes have taken place. And of course, they were expecting changes to have taken place, you know, somewhere between the level of the Greeks and the Egyptians. And for those ancient manuscripts to be vastly different from the ones that we have today. And of course, this would end up being you know, quite an embarrassment for Christianity that has placed so much faith in the Bible. Well, researchers were absolutely stunned and shocked to find that when they read through those uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, the copies of the uh, ancient New Test uh, Old Testament, that they were almost 
word for word the Bible that we have right here. And so that then created a major problem. You see, with something like that, you then have to explain how did that happen? That has never happened with any other ancient document, regardless of how determined the copiers have been in trying to preserve the accuracy of what they are passing on. And of course, we know that uh, there's been many theories put forward as to how they could pass on copies of the scriptures so accurately. But the long and the short of it is this. There is no there is no evidence out there, there is nothing out there that adequately, adequately explains the accuracy of the Bible and how it has been transmitted over a thousand years down to us today. The only real explanation for it is that a supernatural hand was involved, that this book was supernaturally preserved. This morning we noticed in uh, looking at Bible prophecy, that the Bible has a supernatural origin. You can't tell the future. But in looking at the Dead Sea Scrolls, we find that the Bible has a supernatural preservation. But the story doesn't stop there because in 1979, there was an archaeologist by the name of Abi Barke who in Jerusalem decided to excavate this rocky knoll here near St. Andrew's Church. And in doing so, he uncovered an ancient tomb that had long since been looted for all of its possessions. But in a small chamber like this, he found an area that had collapsed and covered over a whole treasure trove of over a thousand pieces from antiquity of incredible value. And as they were going through this, they discovered two small silver scrolls. And it took them many months to figure out how to unroll these scrolls so that they could read them. But when they did, they found once again they had a portion of the Bible. This time, though, rather than being from the time of Christ and a little bit before the time of Christ, 100 years or so before the time of Christ, these ones dated all the way back to when the descendants of Solomon and David were on the throne and Solomon's temple was still standing. This took them back another 500 years older to a much older period of time. And of course, once again, they wanted to know how much has changed in how the Bible has been handed down. And once again, they found it word for word, the Bible that we have today. How does that happen over a 1500 year period that it comes down unchanged? The only adequate explanation is that a supernatural power has been involved. And so if we put it on our chart right up here, we find that the Dead Sea Scrolls, this is our oldest ones here, the Masoretic text, our Dead Sea Scrolls take us back to about this time period here. And then of course, our Silver Scrolls go all the way back there. Now friends, I wish that I had the time here this afternoon to take you through some of the amazing codes and symbols that you find in the Bible and in other ancient manuscripts that show the supernatural origins of this book. But unfortunately, this is a short seminar. And so if you're going to study that more deeply, then I would suggest that you go and see my good friend Wayne Bohm, and he will be able to sort you out with a whole series of Bible studies, a number of Bible series of Bible studies that we've put together uh, to cover these subjects in detail. A couple of other... Uh, well, the next thing that I want to share with you is this one right here. 
and that is the supernatural effect of the Bible. The Bible makes this claim about itself. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And so in researching this one, I wanted to find out and I wanted to discover for myself, you know, what really has been the impact of the scriptures on our globe, on our world. And so I looked at the predominant religious heritage of various countries and then looked for, well, how does that actually impact the psyche of the country? How does it impact the culture of the country? How does the impact of the presence of the scriptures as a foundation for that country carry on down through to how that country then relates to others and so forth? And to give a, uh, to, to, to just to sort of get a, a, a rough handle on it, one of the things that I looked at was how does a country relate to those who are the weaker amongst them? Those that they can dominate over. And so being keenly interested in history, as an example, I went back to the Second World War. You see, you go back to the time of the Second World War, and the world was a much more religious place than what it is now. And countries were much more religious in their, in their foundation and, that, and, and in the effect that, that would then have on the country as a whole. Now, of course, this is, this is uh, uh, just a general observation. But I wanted to know, okay, how does that then carry over? Does the Bible have an effect on the way that a country would relate to, say, for instance, prisoners of war? So did countries that had a foundation on the Bible and a belief in the Bible, did, they ha did that have a better effect on how they treated those who were at their mercy? And so I did some, uh, some quick research and came up with this. I think you'll find it most interesting because you'll find this illustrated in a number of different ways. And so this is the prisoner of war mortality rate. If you were a prisoner of war, of, prisoner of war held in Britain, you had a higher chance of survival than if you were a British citizen at 0.03% uh, mortality rate. Uh, the USA, of course, you had to make that trip across the Atlantic and face being torpedoed on the way, so that was a little bit higher. But then it goes up quite dramatically from there, doesn't it? Now, what is interesting is that you can look at this from a number of different perspectives. You can look at it in the relationship to women, for example. You can look at the same concept and, and, and just as an example of that, and one of the things that jumped out to me in looking at this is that religion without morality is worse than no religion at all. Did you notice that? Religion that does not have moral absolutes is worse than no religion at all. And, uh, you know, you can look, at, for instance, right now at a, at, a, at a country like Thailand where there are one million sex slaves producing $6.5 billion to the Thai economy each year, and one in 10 of every tourist dollars that is spent there is spent on sex slaves. Um, oh, by the way, that was one million child sex slaves, I should say. This is not a black and white rule by any stretch of the imagination, but it is an interesting observation. You can also look at the relationship that various countries have to the rule of law and your general safety when you step out on the street to drive a motor vehicle. And what you find is that where the Bible is the foundation of that country, it has an effect and has had, I should say, an effect on the psyche of that country, the way that country thinks and the way that country 
relates to itself and to others. Of course, sadly, the Bible is very rapidly disappearing from our world today, and the French Revolution is a great example of what happens when the Bible disappears. But I want to move on from there. Of course, we talked uh, earlier about some of the codes and symbols that you find in the Bible. I thought I'd give you a couple of quick examples of some of the things that you can find if you are going to study into the codes and symbols. This is, of course, a very condensed version of a much longer presentation. When I was asked to come up here, I'm like, yeah, sure, I can speak on those subjects, no problem at all. And I got all ready for it. And then uh, um, a little while ago, I suddenly realized that you've only got 20 minutes. I'm like, oh, okay. So what do you cut out and what do you leave? And I'll show you some some fun things here. Um, This one's interesting. These are the patriarchs who lived before the flood. The descendants of Adam all the way through to Noah. And if you look, for instance, at the names of these individuals and the meanings of the names, here you have the meanings of the names. So Adam means man. Uh, Seth means appointed, replacement. Enoch uh, means, means mortal, sorrow, the blessed God. Descent shall come down, commencement, teacher, his death shall bring, lament, despairing, comfort, um, and rest down here at the end. And so then, if you look at this, you say, okay, there's some really nice names, and uh, maybe there's a name there that you could pick up for a child if, if you have uh, some children on the way. Uh, you know, Mahalal sounds like a, uh, a good one right there. Um, <coughs> the blessed God, that's an awesome name. Okay, but notice what happens when you line these all up. Look at this. Man, having been appointed, mortal, bringing sorrow, the blessed God shall come down, teaching, his death shall bring to the despairing comfort and rest. That's the gospel message right there. Encoded within the names of the ancient patriarchs. Isn't that beautiful? And you, know, you can look at so many of these as you go through the Bible. And, uh, but as we finish off, I just want to show you something else very quickly that I found fascinating. And, and uh, I want to take you back to a code that was put together that explains the gospel message that was actually created before this book right here, that actually predates this book. In a civilization, the oldest continuous civilization on this planet, and of course I refer to China, and you'll find this amongst the, uh, the traditional Chinese characters, which have gone through four different uh, generations, but the uh, radicals remain the same. And uh, so, for instance, if you take something like this and you say, okay, here's a, here's a word right here, and to us that's meaningless, but uh, for those of you who are Chinese, you'll be able to read that word straight away and know what it means. Just don't say anything yet. <clears throat> but this is made up, this is a character made up of various radicals. And the question that goes through your mind, why do you put certain radicals together to create a word. What was in the mind of the person who is inventing these hieroglyphs? And so here you have the king who is, you've got ears on top, so that means it's the king who is the lamb. So you have a king who is also a lamb. That's an interesting concept. And beneath that, you have the symbol of a hand. And on the other side of that, you have the symbol of a knife. So why would you put a king who is a lamb, a hand and a knife all together to create the word for righteousness. You see, when the king is over me, it makes me righteous. When my hand takes a knife to the king who is the lamb, it makes me righteous. It's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, Here's another, another doozy right here. You have a small canoe. Here's two guys in their little canoe and they've got their paddle out the side. They're paddling along. 
and uh, then you add these radicals together. Um, here you've got this one right here is a, is a mouse. It's a person. There's a number eight. Eight mouths to feed in the boat makes an enormous ship. I wonder where that story came from. And you can look at another one right here. You have uh, breath and you have dust being combined together makes a mouth. That's a person. But it's not just an ordinary kind of person. It is a living person. See, here's his head and here's his arms and he's standing on the land. So dust plus breath makes, you know, God breathed into, God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And so we have the gospel message right here. That, of course, brings us to the word create. Here's another beauty. Here you have uh, the divine being from above who comes down in the form of, comes down as rain, I should say, in the form of three persons and he works and when he works, the result of that work is two people. Here you see the little stick people standing right here. And that word is the word spirit. And we could go on and on with so many more. We'll do a couple more. We can see we've got some time here. Here you've got two trees um, and you've got God. So you've got God here and above God you've got these two trees. So this is their roots coming down here and the trees growing up. This is the land right here. And the word is forbidden. God reveals what is forbidden. With how many trees? Two trees. Where do you find that? You find that story in the book of Genesis. And we can look at another one. I like this one because you have another symbol from a divine being that comes down from above. God places his blanket over those who understand the writing about the number seven. And those who understand the writing about the number seven, they are a devout person. And of course, if we turn our Bibles, we find that our Bibles describe our world being made in seven days. Isn't that so? We have a seven-day week, and that seven-day week is universal. And we can look around the world, and we know exactly where the, the we can look exact, we know exactly where the year comes from. It comes from the, the the Earth rotating around the sun. We know where the day comes from, the Earth rotating on its axis. We know where the month comes from. The month comes from the cycle of the moon and we know where the seven-day week comes from that is universal from one side of our globe to the other. It comes from the Bible. Those who understand the writing about the number seven. All right, so here we have um, another symbol for God and a symbol for one and a symbol for a person. Here's his mouth once again. So God gives one man a garden, but not just an ordinary kind of garden. This garden has four rivers in it. Well, where do you read about a garden with four rivers in it? Once again, in the book of Genesis. And you'll find this one often in restaurants and so forth because it is the word for blessing. You give a man a garden with four rivers in it, and he is a blessed man. Oh, very quickly, a tree and a mouth. The word is refrain. Refrain your mouth from the fruit of of one tree. Friends, we could uh, look at so many things here, but we are out of time, and so I need to finish up. But friends, what I want to point out to you is this. The gospel story has been given to humanity. It has been given specifically to us through this book right here. This is a book that has a supernatural origin. It has a supernatural preservation. It has a supernatural effect even on people who do not believe in it when they live in a country where it is a, has formed a foundation of that country. And God's gospel message has been given to us right here. This is no ordinary book. 
If you have never studied this book before, if you have never looked into it right here, let me commend it to you. You owe it to yourself to understand what this book says.